So today the topic's happiness. So I've got a question for you, which is, hands up anybody who doesn't want to be happy. Okay, I have to ask it that way round. If you ask people to put their hands up and say, hands up if you want to be happy, not everybody puts their hands up. And the reason for that is because they don't know what happiness is. That's the first thing. Okay. There's a universal happiness. And it's a happiness we can measure. I'll come to that later. But what actually gets in the way of people putting their hands up to say, yes, I want to be happy, is that they have focused on life goals of some sort or another. And happiness isn't in there. So unfortunately, because of the way that our culture operates it takes things like happiness and it relegates them to the world of hippy dippiness along with meditation and inner peace and because you can provide clear tangible benefits on the one hand and in the inner experience nothing's tangible and everything's complex and you don't necessarily get what you want and the more you try the less you get it and if you don't believe me think about trying to get to sleep if you can't get to sleep trying harder is not a solution because of this intangibility when we moved away from religious dogma because we're largely we're a secular society now even if if you're a religious person i find a lot of religious people not viewing the world in line with their religion, but actually viewing it as a secular world where religion's only a bolt-on, although it doesn't mean they don't have faith. What it means is they don't see the world through the, the old eyes of, of the wisdom traditions. And I only mention that. I'm not religious. I'm agnostic. I don't know. And I'm comfortable not knowing. But it provides a perspective of your inner experience. So, for example... Yeah, I'm sure it's not the case now, but uh, uh, back in the day, Catholicism would view a lot of thoughts as sin. I mean, maybe it still does, don't know. But whether you like that or not, at the end of the day, it, it's a way of understanding your inner, inner experience. And so when the, the, our society became secular, tragically, we threw out the baby with the bathwater with a lot of religious concepts things like forgiveness are totally misunderstood forgiveness is probably one of the most powerful things in the world if you know how to use it i'll do a do a session on forgiveness one day but today's happiness so there you go so there's another thing let's bin that happiness and instead let's replace it with things that we can actually see and then there's our security there's the security of our relationships there's our physical well-being there's our financial security, there's our wealth, there's our relative status, there's how we, how we perceived. Because we all perceive each other in line with the values of the secular world, subsequently we try to align with those values and gain status in the eyes of other people so that we don't feel like we're rejected because we're social animals and we don't want to be separate. And so that it takes over. And so that's why when you ask for a show of hands, hands up, who wants to be happy? Not everybody puts their hand up. They're quite happy to relegate happiness. So what is happiness? There's two concepts that we can rely on. Christianity isn't huge on happiness, as far as I can see. I mean, clearly it's in there. Buddhism, it's very central. And that, so that's a kind of wisdom tradition perception of happiness. Uh, no doubt some... Christians will put me right later, uh, and I'll, I shall review the scripture and apologise. Um, but the, uh, the the secular perspective of happiness, this is managed by a branch of psychology known as positive psychology. It's a handful of psychologists in one of the unhappiest places in the world. One of the unhappiest places in the world is Harvard. Yeah the pinnacle of modern education. Yeah. Whenever, the, whenever they do studies there into people's um, well-being, psychological well-being, it's, uh, Harvard is a, a 
um, Ivy League university in the United States, they are shocked to discover there's a guy called Sean Ackor does a talk on, on TED. Just to give you an idea, 25% of just this wacky, wacky, wacky result from any study, but there you go, 25% of students in Harvard University don't know if they're in a, a relationship with someone. And the number that are is, is tragically low. Yeah, so this is TED Talk by Sean Ackle, who's who is actually a Harvard psychologist. So these Harvard psychologists, Martin Seligman and Dan Gilbert, sat around one day, probably burning the midnight psychologist oil, and they said to themselves, look, we're constantly dealing with human misery, but we all know that there's this small group of people who are, who are outliers, who don't get upset along with everybody else, they, no, they're never miserable. What's going on with them? Why don't we study them? And so positive psychology was born. And it, it, it kind of founded around a, a question that gets asked, which is, overall, are you satisfied with your life? What that is, that's a, a question about life satisfaction. And that's what positive psychology, quite correctly, has plumped on as the, the focus for understanding happiness. And so everybody knows, whether you believe in happiness, is it hippy-dippy, you don't care about all this stuff, you know, I'm not interested. If you're asked, overall, I am satisfied with my life on a scale of 1 to 10, you'll be able to come back with a number. And interestingly, that number correlates with a lot of things. So, you know, if, if somebody's life satisfaction is higher then there are uh, physiological and psychological health benefits aligned with it. So the, the Buddhist concept of happiness, they go a little bit better than to just ask a question and then ver various other questions and do studies and form correlations between things like loneliness and happiness and income distribution and all this kind of stuff. The Buddhists actually define it. So the Dalai Lama who's a, a global figure, travels around often promoting happiness. And, and there's a couple of quotes of his. One where he says that what happiness is, is gaining fulfilment from neutral experiences. That's actually an act of genius. Although we don't it doesn't get spoken about much and we, we might struggle to define it and so on. We all know that happiness is, is within us. So some people are just happy and other people are just unhappy. And positive psychology has identified this as the 50% of happiness or life satisfaction, which they call heritable. And you're kind of stuck with this. It's a, it's a thing called a happiness set point. People have life experiences, that they, there's all sorts of adversities, and then they bounce back afterwards. Or, the, or they'll have some wonderful luck, and then they'll bounce back down. So people tend to go back to this happiness set point. So we, from all of that, we can tell, and we know in ourselves anyway, that happiness lies within. It's part of us. And so by saying that happiness is fulfillment from a neutral experience actually what you're saying is this think about what a neutral experience is well here's one okay it, it's neither terrible nor wonderful it's kind of averagey kind of experience so here you are you know you've come out on this soggy morning um, battled your way through the traffic and the rain and you've got hair and it's not too cool, not too warm. Altogether, it's quite neutral. And what fulfillment is, is that you don't need anything else. So you're not looking for something to improve that present moment. It's okay like it is. And now you can see where happiness comes from, because actually, life is a collection of present moments. Lots and lots and lots of them. And 99.9% .9 of them are neutral. Neutral present moments. Okay. 
And our society has got nothing to say about that. And our lives, our minds, the modern mind responds to those neutral present moments in an interesting way. And one of the things that it does is it constructs a thing called boredom. So boredom is when you've got nothing to do. Yeah, so you're just sitting in a room with no windows, nothing to do. Most people wouldn't enjoy that. We, there's, there's studies that do this. They put people in a room on their own with nothing to do and then ask them how they feel about it and they're not happy. They don't enjoy it. So what, what we actually want to be able to do is to discover what those things are that stop us from being fulfilled in a neutral present moment. And right at the top of the list is the mind. Because when you're alone in a room with nothing to do, you aren't alone, you're alone with your mind. And the mind is, is spontaneous. What's the next thing you're going to think? What's the next thing you're going to think? Nobody knows. Eight billion of us, nobody knows. So the mind is spontaneous and it's compulsive. So most of us can't say, okay, I don't want to think. And even if you can, that'll only happen for a while and then a thought's going to arise and you don't get to choose what thought is. Just like sitting in this room, if you, when we finish the session, because this is a public place, if you just opened the door and sat here, you wouldn't know who's going to come in. You don't know if they're going to be friendly, whether they're going to be obnoxious, how long they're going to be here for, whether there's going to be one of them or whether going to, the room's going to be crowded. And that's the mind. Okay, so now... If the mind is the course, the source of what intervenes in our neutral present moment, it would benefit us to do something about it. Okay, so first of all, we need to have a look at the present moment, and then we need to figure out how we relate to happiness. So here's the present moment. Okay, listen to the bell, and you'll encounter the present moment. That's the sound of the present moment moving through time, or time moving through the present moment, or sound moving through time, or something like that. We don't know what time is, by the way. We can measure it, but we don't know what it is. A bit like happiness. <laughs> okay, so have another listen to the present moment. Okay, so if you've got life goals and you're fo focused on your life goals, you don't have time to be happy, do you? Quite apart from anything. Too much to do. If I want to achieve this, I can't waste my time. So here's a place to find it. Just for a minute, just for a second, just for a present moment, give yourself permission to be happy in this present moment. Just listen to the sound. And what that is, is that's you giving yourself permission just this once in your entire life to experience the present moment as it is. There you go. Happiness. There's nothing else there. There's just the present moment. And, and notice how, when you're in it, and the mind isn't going 10 to the dozen, then actually it's fulfilling. You don't, just for that moment, you don't need anything else. Yeah, there's all the cares of the world, and there's, there's like stuff, there's money, there's people, there's jobs, there's careers, there's difficult people, there's the future, there's all of this kind of stuff, but it isn't here in this present moment. In that is happiness. So all you need is bells like these. <laughs> and then what you do is you go round sounding the bells. And then what do you become? 
you're a Harry Krishna guy, right? So if you've ever wondered what they're doing and why they're doing it, actually, really, now you get it. Okay, so I was in um, Carnaby Street one day, and the Harry Krishna guys are going down Carnaby Street, and there's these school kids, and the school kids are like, oh, look at them, let's copy them and, and mimic them. So the Harry Krishna guys are waving their arms and banging tambourines. And you've got all of these kids with their mobile phones, and they're, they're waving their hands, and they're following the Harry Krishna guys. And then what happened is the Harry Krishna guys went round in a big circle and joined the back of the kids. <laughs> and, then there was, and then the passers-by either stopped or joined in. <laughs> That's the present moment, right? It's got in it everything you could ever possibly need. And the problem is we don't let it in. We don't let the present moment in because we've got too much to do, important stuff, We've got to do the important stuff. And we miss out on happiness. Now, the thing is, is this. You only need one sip to know the ocean's salty. Right? And you've done it. This is it. You've discovered what the present moment consists of. That it's fulfilling. And it, it doesn't matter to, if you live to be a thousand years. If you spend the rest of your life focused on achieving material goals, you'll never forget that actually the present moment's got everything in it you could possibly need, and you don't need anything else, and the fulfilment's there, and the only thing that gets in the way is the mind. But then, of course, now that Robert stopped ringing the bell, <laughs> we're back, and the mind's back. So what do we do? Well, what we do is we meditate. And what that does is that helps us to become familiar with the mind. When you get familiar with the mind, you can become comfortable with the mind. When you're comfortable with the mind, the intensity and duration of the thoughts diminishes. And that opportunity to find a fulfilling present moment grows. And when that happens... At some point, it becomes like a Kevlar vest because then you get it. You recognize what life is actually all about, that it's a succession of neutral experiences. Now, this isn't opting out. This is the opposite. This is dealing with what all of those things, getting comfortable, familiar with all of those things that get in the way of, of your happiness, which is actually all the difficult stuff. So it's the opposite of sticking your head in the sand and avoiding anything, it's actually exposure therapy, bit by bit, getting familiar and comfortable with the mind. But what we'll do is we'll start off with the frictionless practice that enables us to experience the present moment. And that isn't a meditation. What that is, is what I call the meditation of no meditation. So, probably best to close your eyes, but you don't have to. If you do keep your eyes open, it's probably best to look down so you don't get distracted by anything that's going on around you. And that's only because what we're going to do is focus on sound. Instead of noticing individual sounds, the modern mind tends to be drawn to individual sounds. You have both a a human mind, a primal human mind, and a, a modern mind operating at the same time. If you're in nature, in the dark, on your own, the modern mind shuts up and you become like a big microphone and you're able to notice every sound, every broken twig, every scurrying creature in the undergrowth, every leaf falling out of the canopy, every breath of wind, you hear it all. In all the 360 degrees around you. And that's what this 
practice, it's not a meditation. It's um, Well, it is a meditation and it isn't a meditation at the same time, which is why I call it the meditation of no meditation. And what you're doing is allowing yourself to become aware of all sound. So from in here, you'll hear everything from airplanes in the distance to the sound of your own breath. There's movements in the room, movements in the building, sounds out in the park, there's wind, there's movement of the windows from time to time if it gets windy. And what you're doing is allowing all of this sound from all of these different places to wash over you. Now when the mind gets drawn to a sound, and we're doing the modern mind thing, just come back and notice that you're sitting. Notice where you're sitting in your mind, your sense of place. Because this practice allows you to orient yourself. If for some reason it became very, very dark, You'd rely on the sounds to navigate your way around the room. So while we have a sense of being in ourselves, then we notice the sounds all around us. And that's, that's the exercise. We practice this for the next few minutes. Just noticing sounds arising, sounds subsiding. We're just noticing the hubbub of all sound. Just listening. So there's no goals or expectations. This isn't mental training. You don't get anything out of it. You're just noticing all sound. It doesn't matter what's happening in the mind. The mind could be busy, the mind could be wandering. We're just noticing those sounds from all around us. So we're not picking up any particular sound. What you want is the hubbub of all sound.
So the important thing to recognize about this meditation of no meditation, there's nothing to be gotten from it. Everything we do in the modern world, we do because we're going to get something from it. Everything. Except for this, which is why it isn't in the modern world. We have to introduce it. So you're learning to do something without getting anything from it. And notice what happens to the mind. Isn't that interesting? And so now, if we move on to another slightly similar, slightly different practice, we just move straight into it. That was the meditation of no meditation for sound. And this is the meditation of no meditation for breath. So to do the meditation of no meditation for breath, what we're doing is noticing a tiny movement. It's the movement of the belly just at the point where the belly meets the chest. And you're noticing the rising and falling. Tiny little movement. You might need to put your fingers there or maybe you can notice it. And that's it, just noticing the movement. Doesn't matter if the mind's busy, the mind wanders, thoughts arise, what emotions there are, what sounds you can hear, whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable, whether you're cool or warm, whether you're tired or alert, whether you're relaxed or tense, nothing matters. We're just noticing that tiny little movement. And again, there's nothing to be gained. Almost imperceptible movement. And now what we do is we add to it. And what we add is we note the movement in our mind. So as the belly expands and contracts, expands, contracts, we say in our mind rising, falling. Belly's growing, we say rising. Belly's shrinking, we say falling. Rising, falling. Again, there's no goal, no expectations, nothing to be gained. Doesn't matter about the mind, doesn't matter about how we feel, what's going on in our experience. Just noticing that movement and repeating in our mind, rising as the belly expands, falling as the belly shrinks.
So now what we're going to do is add a, a little job to this. What a little job is, is to, to notice if our mind's wandered. So whenever our mind has wandered and we notice, you know, our thoughts arise and one thought leads to another and before you know it, there you are, you're not in this chair anymore. Instead, your mind's taking you somewhere else. And then you notice, whenever you notice that the mind's wandered, come back and notice the breath. You can either notice the breath in the belly or you can notice the breath in the nostrils. So this is a meditation. This is the following the breath meditation. It's 2,500 years old. And the script has four lines. Notice the breath. Mind wanders. Return to the breath. Repeat. That's it. Just noticing the breath. The mind wanders at some point or another. At some other point, you notice that the mind's wandered. And you come back and notice the breath. Because it's a meditation, I'll begin and end it with a bell. For a lot of very good practical reasons. And then every so often, because the modern mind is a wandering mind, every so often I'll sound the bell. And that's to help you notice if your mind's wandered and if it has. Just come back and notice the breath. Cool breath in, warm breath out. doesn't matter how much the mind wanders. So we're not trying, although the mind will introduce trying all on its own. It really doesn't matter. If the mind wanders a thousand times, gently return our attention to the breath a thousand times.
So breathing in, noticing whatever it is you can smell and taste and the sensation of sitting. And in your very own time, gently return your attention to your surroundings. Okay, so what that does, that last practice following the breath, is because it's such a neutral experience, the breath is neutral, you can't distinguish between good and bad breaths. What happens is that the mind wanders. And then you notice, and that moment when you notice that the mind's wandered, that's called the moment of recognition. That's what we're practicing. We're not practicing staying focused on the breath, we're practicing the repeating of the moment of recognition over, over and over again. The moment when you notice that your mind's wandered. And then you come back to the breath and, you know, neutral present moment back to here. So before we can be happy, if the Dalai Lama's correct, and he says that happiness is fulfillment from a neutral present moment, the first prerequisite is we have to be in that present moment to notice it. Um, and w without that, all bets are off. So if you spend the day on autopilot, you haven't been happy. You haven't been happy because you haven't had a present moment because your mind's been on Project X or what you're going to do next month or what's going to happen in the future or what's happened in the past or whatever it happens to be. So you haven't noticed. You go through the day and, and that day hasn't existed. You've, you've lived it in your mind. And that's not unusual. A big city like this, a lot of people spend their entire lives in their mind. And they don't want to come back to the present moment because it's neutral and it's not exciting and it, it gets classified as boring. Which is an interesting thing. And so what this practice does is reminds us as our subconscious mind we train it through repetition, which is how you train the subconscious, through repetition. You want to learn to juggle, you want to learn to cycle, you want to learn your times table, you're training your subconscious to know it through repetition. And you practice this moment of recognition over and over again, and you find that you experience the moment of recognition during your day. And you're spending more time present and less time wherever your mind's taking you. But you, you're here, you have the choice, so you can go back. Go back whenever you want. So let's say you're ruminating over some shocking thing in the past, and you come back to the present moment, you've got the choice. You can stay here, or you can go back and ruminate. It's fine, it's up to you. But you're, now you're doing it out of choice, whereas previously it was happening to you and you didn't get a choice. The moment you come back to the present moment, if you choose, choose rumination... Or, or worry, or fear, or anxiety, or doubt, or anything like that, then you can take your mind there. And similarly so, if you want happiness and joy and bliss and so on, try competing between bliss in the present moment and bliss in the past or the future. It's up to you. You get to choose. So you can find that bliss in your mind from the past or the future, and it's better than the bliss and joy of the present moment. That's great. You can go there. You're choosing to go there. Okay, so one more meditation. And this is called a gratitude meditation. It's from a huge library of meditations that the Buddhists teach. And what they do is they operate on our, on our warm, positive, happy emotions. So if you get yourselves comfortable. And begin by noticing the sense of sitting. So you're present, you're here, however you feel. Ideally, feet on the floor, elbows by your side. Balance your skull as comfortably as it can be on top of your spine. Comfort. Comfort for the balanced skull. That's what we're looking for. And if you're noticing your breath, it's good to notice your breath. Notice the chest rising and falling on the top of your belly. 
and then bring to mind whichever being it is that brings you a warm feeling when you bring them to mind. Could be, well, I say being because it might not be a human being, it could be a pet, because you know, human beings, we adopt our pets, they become part of our family. So it might be that your pet brings you a warm feeling or a human being brings you a warm feeling. And it might be now or it might be from the past. It doesn't matter because what we're looking for is that warm feeling. So bring to mind that being that brings you a warm feeling and you either visualize them in your mind, if you're a visual person, or if you're not a visual person, bring to mind the sense of being with them, how it makes you feel. Allow yourself to notice that feeling. So you're noticing the breath rising and falling, the chest expanding and contracting. And you're able to connect with that warm feeling related to the, the being, the good person this is known as. And then what you do is you repeat a mantra in your mind. And all a mantra is, these are words that we say in our mind while we're meditating. Or you could be chanting them, but we don't do chanting. And these words, this is the compassion mantra. So as we have that being that brings us a warm feeling in our mind, on three separate out-breaths, we say in our mind, May they be well, may they be happy, may they find peace of mind, may they be well, may they be happy, may they find peace of mind. And yeah, we're on a spectrum. Some people notice this as, a, as an enjoyable, elevated experience, and other people don't. It doesn't matter. At first, for most of us, this is just words. The good person or the being in our mind, may they be well, may they be happy, may they find peace of mind. And now bring to mind a neutral person. So this is somebody whose name you don't know and you haven't formed an opinion of whether you like them or not. So it could be a neighbour whose name you don't know that you pass in the street. Um, it could be somebody who you've known a while ago and whose name you've forgotten. Uh, it could be a, a co-worker. It could be somebody at a local shop. Just somebody who you can bring to mind might have been somebody you encountered this morning that you don't have anything other than a neutral perspective on. And you hold that neutral person in mind and you say in your mind, may they be well, may they be happy, may they find peace of mind. On the out-breath, separate out-breath. May they be well. May they be happy. May they find peace of mind.
And so now bring to mind a difficult person. And so when you do that, it's got to be not somebody who's really upset you. Okay, so this isn't your um, arch enemy. This is just somebody who recently may have done or said something unhelpful or thoughtless or inconsiderate or even just a little bit rude. You know, somebody shut the door in your face or pushed in front of you in a queue, that kind of thing. That's what we're looking for. And in a city of 8 million people, it's difficult to avoid that. You know, somebody cutting you up at the traffic lights or pulling out in front of your car or, you know, just they're having a bad day and they're kind of trying to pass it on to you. And hold that difficult person in mind and say in your mind, may they be well. May they be happy. May they find peace of mind. And now bring to mind your image of yourself. Whatever it is, could be what you see in the mirror, could be your favourite selfie, it could be however you perceive yourself, however you feel other people feel about you or think about you or however they see you. So hold in mind an image of yourself. And you say in your mind, may I be well, may I be happy, may I find peace of mind. And now return to your mind, that being that brings you warmth when you hold them in mind. And you say in your mind, may they be well, may they be happy, may they find peace of mind. And you're noticing your breath rising and falling. Hold the image of that good person or that being that brings you warmth in your mind. Notice how it makes you feel and allow yourself to feel that. Breathing in, noticing whatever it is you can smell and taste and the sensation of sitting. And in your very own time, gently return your attention to your surroundings. So on the face of it, that might appear at an attempt, if we were trying, trying to have compassion for all of these various different actors in our life. But actually, no, because the purpose of meditation is to become familiar with the mind. And though they're all metaphors, except for yourself. Yeah. So the, the neutral person is, is the metaphor for neutral people. And I, I know how many neutral people there are in your life. There's eight billion of them. Right? So your relationship with neutral people is important. And you now know what it consists of. Yeah. So if, if, if you can't gain any fulfilment from interactions with neutral people, then 
it's something that you can practice. And the way to practice it is by doing this over and over again. And it's the same with, with difficult people. So all we're doing is picking somebody who's mildly irritating. And I know how many are mildly irritating people there are in your life because you live in London. There's 8 million of them. Okay? And so if you want to find fulfilment from your interactions with mildly irritating people and know how to practice it, you do, do this meditation over and over again. And then use yourself as well. The shock to me, I, I thought I was cruising along. I was, I was compassionate about the difficult person. The first time I did this, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super cool, spiritual, got it sussed, calm, happy, compassionate. Came to me, nothing. And, and so what I, my, my relationship to myself, and it's a, thing, it's a, it's a real thing, you know, uh, how I perceive myself, it was broken. And so I did this, done this for 10 years, I suppose now, something like that. And, you know, I've healed my relationship to myself and difficult people and neutral people. And, and it's just, just, just a matter of practicing it, that's all. And it doesn't, you're not actually, you're not looking for anything in it. What you're doing is it's telling you how you interact with the world not the other way around. You're not using it to change and become Mr. Compassionate. You're actually noticing what your interactions are and getting familiar and comfortable with it. Familiar, comfortable. That's what med- the purpose of meditation is to become familiar with the mind. And the mind is thoughts and emotions. So this just tells us a lot. Okay, so that's it for today for happiness.